0: and welcome to the Canaan and Rince podcast, volume 6, issue 269. Perfect Dark, as we like to tell you and to remind you, you can play along with us. And volume 6 includes the following games. Tetris, Double Dragon series, that's uh, the first of a two-part thing that we're doing uh, for reasons which should become apparent. After that is Tales of Vesperia, then Robotron 2084, And following that, we start our series of Witcher podcasts with the 2007 original. Uh, The entire schedule, up to and including 300, which will be out like November, December time, can be found at canorince.com. And as always, I like to remind you that you can head to canorince.com for other things, including articles, features, the occasional review, links to our friendly and busy forum, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy all this that we do, you can support us in a number of ways, including our Patreon. There's no hidden content behind paywalls, but you can donate a minimum of a dollar a month or more if you wish. And furthermore, as we've recently announced, uh, while we still operate our Patreon as a sort of online tips jar, uh, we have set a target. And if we hit that target, which is $3,000 per month by mid-November, we will be doubling the number of Kane and Rinse podcasts we make next year from 50 to 100. Yes, that's double. Uh, so please consider heading to patreon.com slash and Rinse and try to make it happen for us and for you. Thank you for listening and considering your patronage. But now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 269, Mr. Darren Gargett. Hello. It's also Carl Moon. Hey, guys. It's Mikhail Croder. Hello. A bit of Tony Atkins. Hello, hi everybody. Thank you for joining me. It's perfect dark. So we covered uh, Goldeneye back in Canary's Podcast Issue 200, which is over a year ago now. So everyone will know that this was a spiritual successor sort of sequel. The development team uh, changed quite significantly, though, during development. So it sounds to me like, Darren, or maybe the rest of you, I've done some research and some reading and Mm. some video watching, but it's still not quite exactly clear to me what happened other than um, half the team that started on Perfect Dark kind of left during development to form Free Radical. Obviously, they went on to make Time Splitters and Haze, among other things. But the team overall swelled. The Perfect Dark team ended up being three times the size of GoldenEye 007. Now, I know that um, Martin Hollis, who was uh, one of the key figures on GoldenEye, was originally one of the key figures on Perfect Dark, but I don't think mm. he had he he wasn't he didn't leave to join Free Radical. But he also wasn't there later in the project, I
1: think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's all a bit vague from that era, anyway. Yeah. Like, you never really know. And, you know, you could probably spend the rest of your life reading interviews and stuff. But the gist of it is, yeah, like a bunch of people jump ship halfway mm. through, or maybe just before halfway through. And um, I can only assume that's why it was delayed, you know, several months because direction must have changed at some point. Uh, clearly, um, my fascination with the game from beta to, to you know, release was overwhelming and seeing all this bit be- you know beta footage and screenshots mm. then become removed from the game it was just like it was kind of heartbreaking but you could also looking back at it now you can understand why things happened the way they did so yeah it seems like there was a dramatic um shift in direction at one yeah. point and it's
2: also the um the of course the the, the spiritual sequel part uh you know perfect dark uh, dark nuts having uh uh, James Bond 007 as its uh, as its main star. It's funny because at the time I always thought, uh, or I was under the impression that EA, uh, after the success of GoldenEye, uh, swooped in uh, and got the license for uh, for yeah. further films. Yeah, but uh, uh, Martin Hollis uh, has uh, has said that it was actually of their own volition that they wanted to do something different, hmm. a different. That's character. right. David
0: Doke said the same thing, which is that they they could have had Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, n- I think it would have been sanctioned and paid for. But as it turned out, uh, the team were fed up of working with Bond and wanted to go off and <laughs> start their own IP. So uh, we ended up with different Tomorrow Never Dies games uh, and different GoldenEye games. And that's, yeah, that's a whole other topic for for another time. Uh, not only are we only focusing on Perfect Dark, we're not even focusing on Perfect Dark Zero. Because who knows, one day maybe that will get its own... Dana Rince podcast as well could be an interesting one some of the names that you will recognize in the team include uh, David Doak uh, and obviously on the music side there's Grant Kirkhope and Graham Norgate you'll recognize you'll recognize some of the sounds as well the apparently the dialogue was written by somebody called Teresa Lilligren uh, who since then has been working as a product tester for Nintendo of America um but uh more than that as i say there's a uh there's a, a an official making of video out there that was released at the end of 2015 i, I don't think it's actually on rare replay though is it this particular video
1: mm, no they, they did like some for rare replay and then for the youtube channel they That's made right. extra bits of yeah. footage yeah um
0: Uh, But obviously, the game is available to play uh, on a Nintendo 64. Uh, There are different region versions, which we'll talk about the differences. And of course, you can just download it onto a either an Xbox 360 or an Xbox One as an Xbox Live Arcade release. It's uh, it's cheap Uh, or as part of just one 30th, if you're dividing it evenly of the amazing Rare Replay compilation. Originally, the intention was to release it in time for Christmas 1999, uh, but it ended up uh, coming out in uh, April, May 2000. No, sorry, it was, yeah, it was meant to come out again in April and then was delayed uh, because basically Rare wanted to finish polishing it, add the finishing touches, uh, and it ended up coming out in May and June, um, US and PAL regions, 2000. I remember it coming out in the summer of, of 2000. Um, the, uh, U S version is rated mature and the similarly, uh, bloody and, uh, with a bit of adult language. Um, the BBFC gave it an 18, which is way beyond what it would get now because their hmm. certification process has, has changed.
1: Oh, would it be wrong for me to say that I was extremely excited about the 18 rating? <laughs> oh, honestly, okay. Like, right. Honestly, like playing Goldeneye and wishing that that had a bit more, you know, I was of that age where I wanted things to be a bit more aggressive and violent to see the 18 logo on the perfect dark box. And I was like, yeah, oh God, yeah, that is what, like something that I'm really excited about. But that was something with the I Nintendo was quite...
3: platform in, in, in its entirety. And we were all very much looking forward to something just a bit more kind of feeling grown up on the Nintendo platform.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it's not it's not Turok 2 or or uh,
0: Shadow, Shadow Man for that matter. Mm. Uh, so when the game came out on Nintendo 64 in the summer of 2000, uh, according to game rankings from 44 reviews, it averaged 94.55%, which uh, is pretty much uh, praise across the board. Interestingly, when the game was re-released in kind of technically superior form, but obviously we were uh, 10 years down the line uh, in 2010. Yeah, uh, 79.03% for the 360 version. uh, And you might be able to consider that that, um probably also took into account the fact that it was it was really cheap wasn't it was it i think it was was it a 400 microsoft was it an 800 microsoft point game it was it was either 4 or 7 quid anyway so it was not mm. it was not an expensive purchase and obviously as part of rare replay it's basically buttons so um but we are now 7 years on from it being reviewed Craigson. even at 79%. So yeah. uh, so that's what we're going to consider, like how, uh, how what we thought of it then and what we think of it now, as we do. Uh, one of our correspondents at canarince.com slash forum, Craig, uh, wanted to talk about his uh, experiences with Perfect Dark. Craig says, the hype surrounding this game was hard to describe. The N64 starved of mature games, as Tony alluded to there, was getting a massive sequel to one of the best games of its kind. I counted down to the day of the release and gave my dad the cash to buy it when I was in school. That's how you do it. (laughs) That day, I literally ran the three quarters of a mile home with a bag full of books to find that my dad had got the goods as well as the expansion pack. Giddy with excitement, I was then impeded further as I had to do my paper round. While delivering papers used to take about an hour each day, I managed it all in a slick 15 minutes before I was back (laughs) home with controller in hand. I was thrilled. The game didn't disappoint. I loved all the interesting new weapons, particularly the laptop gun. The campaign was interesting and a decent length, and I didn't mind the introduction of Aliens towards the end. Elvis was a bit pants, but no game is perfect, even those with the word in it in the name. They brought forward the brilliant difficulty setting in Goldeneye, which introduces more objectives, the harder the difficulty, giving you reason to go back. I still rarely replay a game on hard, but for this, I made a welcome exception. I only got to maybe the second level on Perfect Difficulty, but I still remember it clearly, at least the opening moments. The doors open in a facility and you quickly take out the guy and you head right and pop off a few more guys before heading back on yourself. I remember getting really stuck as on the end of the level there was a section which had lots of gun turrets if you you activated the alarm and were pretty much dead. Perfect Dark was such an ambitious and complete package for the day. A joy in every sense. Uh, Yeah, so, um, and I also had a look at how the uh, the user ratings fare on Perfect Dark. And obviously these are always they're always considerations and context to think about when when we look at these. But it's interesting to me that they kind of uh, sit in between the original set of critical reviews and the second set in the Metacritic Nintendo Life, both 8.9 uh, and IMDb 8.8. So it still stands as a high eight kind of game in the minds of people, uh, seemingly uh it's ended up selling 2.52 million in total which uh, seems low when you compare it to golden eyes 8 million uh however it was still a success compared to the projections they had for it and uh, it sold a lot of expansion packs for nintendo <laughs> so they were probably quite happy about it in that, that mm-hmm. respect uh game takes about nine hours to play through i guess on the default difficulty but if you want to do more you're looking at uh, probably double that and if Uh, i mean if you want to do everything who knows i mean taking the multiplayer out of out of the equation you're still looking at 34 hours according to how long to beat uh our histories with the game do you remember the hype did you day one it did you play the bejesus out
3: of it tony this is a weird one for me because it comes at the time so it's released in 2000 and yeah Goldeneye released in 97 actually that seemed like an age back then um You know, three years now doesn't seem particularly long between a sequel game, but back then that seemed a donkey's years. It's weird because a lot of games had had happened in between those two releases. If I think back, like Half-Life had had come out in 98, which was a phenomenal game and still is a phenomenal game and and kind of took a, a lot of interesting aspects of what GoldenEye is and kind of just blend them back into the actual game world without having to kind of set you individual challenges like it did in GoldenEye. Um, but there was, there'd also been a, a, you know, games like System Shock 2 that had come out. Um, you know, Counter-Strike was around the corner. Halo, you know, the original Halo Combat of Old was only a year away. So, you know, it's, it's weird to, to kind of put it in that context. But actually, for me, I'd just got a Dreamcast um, as well mm. in sandwich in between these two things, and I was converted to Dreamcast quite heavily. I absolutely adored that device and wanted everything on there. PlayStation 2 wasn't far around the corner. So it felt like... Um, Perfect Dark was, you know, hanging a little bit old in the kind of the end sixty four kind of. Oh, I can't wait to play it, but you know, I feel like maybe a lot of this stuff has moved on. Um, did I buy it day one? Yeah, sure. I still did buy it day one <laughs> because I'm a gamer yeah. and still excited for new games. And you know, the idea of a uh, and let's face it, I feel like we all would call this the sequel to Golden Eye, although it it wasn't Bond in name and it and it didn't have the character uh, of Bond there. We all felt like this was their their final you know first person sequel to goldeneye so that's why i was excited to play it because i absolutely adored goldeneye
0: yeah that was pretty much my story as well so uh we'll skip me and uh Mikhail.
2: i do still very vividly recall the incredible hype and build-up to uh to perfect dark mm. uh, it was magazines with with features uh those three those three years leading up to the game's release yeah uh, it, the internet was uh was on the rise as a as a medium for distributing information, so you know, I we went on, on website. I went on websites like like IGN sixty four and read a lot of information and saw footage and trailers, and it the hype for this game and the promises of all the features that it contained were reached such high levels that when it eventually released and I got it fairly, I think uh, must have been day one or day two, uh, as soon as I started playing
4: it, it's kind of telling that it didn't disappoint.
0: Carl, how about you?
4: This is a really vivid memory for me, and I think a lot of it stems Good. from what Mikel was mentioning. There was a lot of hype building up there on chat rooms and forums, uh, as as well as many websites that were out there. And this was this, alongside the magazines, meant that it was sort of reaching this strange level of excitement. I don't think I'd ever experienced for a game because there was there was there's the immediacy of being involved in the internet and discussions, and that combined with this being the rare follow-up to GoldenEye and playing so much multiplayer on that with friends, local, and going after school and stuff meant that it reached an absolute fever pitch and I knew I had to have the game. And I'd ordered it from uh, Gameplay, the, the mail-order website, and I was so excited. I, we were School was off. It was the summer holidays uh, because for some reason they released it in June, which is reasonably rare for any game to release in June anyway. And I couldn't sleep on the night. I woke up at half past four, sat around because I knew that the game was coming that day. It got to 6 a.m. It was unbearable. I remember I was good, I popped into town because the uh, news agents had opened up. And I just wanted to go and get some sweets because I thought I'm going to stockpile some sweets and, and play this game all night. How old I, were you I at this time? i <laughs> uh, <He> was 28 <laughs> years old. <laughs> yeah, I was 16 at the time, Tony. Um, <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd, just, I'd just finished... Secondary school. I was so excited for this game. I I, I was utterly restless. Um, I distinctly remember walking down. I saw my friend. He was on the milk cart delivering milk, and I had a discussion with him on the morning. And I was absolutely bouncing with excitement. Uh, came home with my stockpile of sweets. Waited all day. It never turned up. Uh, and oh. that is one of the most miserable <laughs> memories I've ever had. Sitting in all day We've for all a been delivery. Only for Dangers doctor. with mail order. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, Perfect Act was a day two release for me.
0: Darren, you must have been literally <laughs> beside yourself.
1: <laughs> uh, I can't put it into actual words as to how much hype was in my head at this point. So, yeah. all the magazines, N sixty four magazine being my favourite, uh, was you know just scoured over every day. Like images were, yeah, you know, just you know pulled apart in, in my head like mm. tenfold. Um, and then I got an invite. To, through the game shop I worked in, I got an invite to ECTS down in London, and uh, apparently Perfect Dark was going to be there, and that was the only reason why I was going to go. I had no really interest, you know, real interest in going, because it seemed a bit too like businessy. I didn't really understand what it was at the time, but they were like Perfect Dark's going to be there, so I was like, right, we're going. And as soon as I got through the door, I couldn't have left my work friends any quicker, and mm-hmm. apparently they got quite annoyed by it. Oh, where's Darren gone? I was like, well, obviously, I'm by Perfect Dark, so. I stared at the Perfect Dark Beta, I think it was 98 or 99, so it was Mm. quite early on, I just stared at it, like, I didn't didn't really care about anything else there. And then I pre-ordered it through, now, I used to pre-order my imports from Project K, but for this, with this one, I paid £100 for an import of the American version from CA Games in Glasgow, Mm. and like, Carl, it didn't turn up. I was just like, oh man, this is this is ridiculous. My mates were cracking up. Like, okay, mate, your your import's lost, and you're like, oh my, like, oh, cheers for that. Yeah, nice one. Um But um my mate also was going to Canada at the time. So I said, Oh man, if mine copy doesn't turn up, get us one and bring us it back. But by the time he'd flown to Canada, <laughs> he'd already bought one. And he was coming back the next day and he completely forgot that I asked for one. So he, he ended up flying to a different country and coming back and having it before me. And then mine turned up <sighs> flat as a pancake in a jiffy bag. costing me a hundred quid. I was just like, oh, this is the most <laughs> underwhelming delivery of a video <laughs> game ever. Oh. Like this is this is unbelievable. I've still got it now right in front of me. It's just completely squashed. And it's just, it's a bit of a, yeah, it still hurts now. The cart you
0: know. worked though, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it was absolutely fine. And I, you know, I, I, I abused it for many hours afterwards, but to have all this hype, come you know a, yeah. to a, a complete underwhelming like lack of i don't know is cres- a underwhelming crescendo a, a phrase to be you to can use?
0: have that yeah the box <laughs> yeah. was like
3: a metaphor for your mood I, still, I brought mine from blockbuster down my local town <laughs> because i still i still have my copy and it's still got the you know 60 pound price tag written on in, inside the mm. cover oh,
0: I, I always used to take the uh price yeah but now i didn't it's kind of
3: cute that it's there so yeah
0: yeah i have no memory of actually buying it but i know that. Uh, couple of uh, more posts from the forum to give a sense of uh, how some people felt then and now. Andy L says, on paper, Perfect Dark should have been a game I absolutely adored when I first played it in 2000. I played through 007 multiple times in single player, got all of the cheats with my brother and spent many nights playing deathmatch with my neighborhood friends. So I was pretty excited when I heard about Perfect Dark. The single player campaign was fine, but the story never drew me in. The multiplayer was fun, but had little problems that annoyed me and my friends. The blur vision from getting punched sticks out. Don't get me wrong. I still spent countless hours playing multiplayer with friends, but Perfect Dark never reached the heights that GoldenEye did for me. And Sean S. Thomas says Perfect Dark never gripped me or my university halls like GoldenEye did. And I sense that may have been because of its complexity. Everything from acquiring the expansion pack to play parts of it. When he says parts, that's the entire of the single player. um, (laughs) Fiddling with the vast menu options. Yep, that's all still in there. uh, Selecting weapon modes and the overly ambitious graphics, grinding the action to a standstill at times, meant the more casual gamers in our group never loved it like they did Rare's former shooter. I had a soft spot for it, though. Single player was decent with that opening level from memory seeming like a brilliant excuse to brag about the sniper rifle scope distance. I recall at the time being stunned that a game could release for £60 with that experience missing. However, for those who hadn't read, that you needed the expansion pack, which was how we had to play it for the first month or two until funds allowed. Uh, it always felt like Perfect Dark tried a little bit too hard for me and ended up being good rather than great. Joanna felt like a response to Lara Croft. The alien sidekick was a bit irritating and the game barely functioned at its most frenzied.
1: Yeah, the expansion pack issue wasn't really there for me because I already had Donkey Kong 64 Same, in my library. yeah. Yeah, but I can understand people like actually not you know Mm. noticing the box art saying you need this because word of mouth for expansion pack wasn't great. Like I didn't really see much talk about it other than magazines. So if you're not buying magazines and the internet was you know like Mm. Carl said relatively new, well very new at the time, Mm. you're not going to know about it.
0: Yes, so it was pretty much a necessity um, for the single player Um, and uh, the programmers, the developers simply say that the game that they wanted to make wouldn't run in the bog standard base system ramp. So uh, they, that's the path they went down. So it was released after the, the massive legendary Donkey Kong balls up, mm. which was a game that didn't need the expansion pack, but <laughs> did need the expansion pack because... They because of a bug, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the forum, we have Mechna who says, "I didn't play this when it came out as I didn't own an N64 until they were going for around twenty five euros second hand in two thousand and six. I remember bringing this home as one of the four games I picked up that same day I bought the N64, and I was very excited to play it. A close friend of mine had said it was similar to GoldenEye, which we used to spend hours playing together as kids. Naturally, this piqued my interest. When I popped it in and powered it up, I was met with playing." quotes, multiplayer only. My N64 did not have a four meg expansion pack and I had no idea I needed one to play it. As the internet was still dial up in my home and home broadband internet hadn't fully taken off in Ireland yet, I thought for years that Perfect Dark was multiplayer only. Not until around four years ago, 2013, did I get my hands on an expansion pack and finally played a bit of the main story. But sadly, the nostalgia of owning an N64 had well worn off. The frame rate is a little hard to enjoy these days. Uh, but you. if that's the only thing putting you off, play the Xbox 360 slash Xbox One version, Mechna, because no frame rate issues. Yeah, so we mentioned the influences. Uh, the scenario and story involves those little grey aliens, Mayans in this, as they sometimes are in sci-fi, uh, and some general uh, toings and froings between humans and aliens. But I'm going to say uh, my critique in a few words is it's not exactly half life. <laughs> Darren you've you've written a synopsis for us which mm. yeah
1: it, I mean yeah so I rewrote the story as how I remember it and how I've re-researched it
0: <laughs> through the filter but, of garget.
1: Yeah so it's been Gargett-atised. But the, the story the the story presented to you in the N64 and Xbox game it is so convoluted and oh, T- tedious, I'm going to say the word tedious as well. It's just, it's not a, it's not an interesting story to follow from the off, in my opinion. Um, there's, It's too wordy. I think the intro is kind of, it, I think they they're using their new motion capture technology and the ability to record voices and they just took it to the extreme because for about the first sort of five to, you know, 10 years of me playing this game, I just wasn't interested in the story because they just, it wasn't it wasn't simple enough and that might show me up as like a, you know, a simpleton, but they're like, blah, 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 blah. blah and you're like, come on, man. Like, it, just, just, just show me where to go, and I'll shoot the dudes. Like if if the story less is more is what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Well, um, I
3: always felt mm-hmm. they used the stories like just an in, as just a way to introduce you into an area, a new section. Yeah, you know, it makes some of it makes sense, but as an overall arc in piece of entertainment, it's not particularly good.
2: I think what also gets in the way uh, of uh, the Golden Eye or the uh, Perfect Dark structure is that every mission is so separate from mm-hmm. the one before it. So it it's, it almost naturally becomes something fragmented, and what Leon said about uh, it's now Half Life is also interesting because when you put boil Half Half Life, at least the first uh, game down to its core story, it's an incredibly simple story. Yeah. It's just very well well told. That's what I meant. Uh, and yeah. Perfect Dark is an incredibly convoluted story and not very well told. So. <laughs> I would co- I would concur. <laughs> that's with a very, that's, it's a it's a very painful contrast. What it yeah. what it
0: makes me think of now and even then I remember thinking at the time in term we'll we'll talk about the performances and, and stuff but I remember thinking at the time that the whole thing felt a little clunky and archaic even for two thousand but it was we were still in the region it was we were only four years on from Resident Evil at this point so it didn't seem insane that you had these very sort of amateur dramatics um accents but but now it's like it is like some children <laughs> watch the x-files and then got their parents to act it out from a costume box well,
3: or i, I, mean, like I... That. It's, it, I, I think beyond that, it's actually disappointing me because, you know, although GoldenEye didn't have a stellar story, I mean, it had a story to to play off, obviously, from the film. It had a story mm. that drove me through the narrative of the scenarios I was up against. It had a certain pace to it. You know, scenes generally bled into each other and it made sense of how we were progressing through the story. Perfect Dark, even back then, I think I just came to it and went, the setups. ups okay, interesting enough, but, like, the it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just frag- so fragmented that I was expecting at least golden eye levels of, okay, well, there's a sense of urgency for me to get to A to B. And this, it just seemed to, like, oh, yeah, some plans are going to get stolen and that's bad. <laughs> it was, I mean, that, and, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, obviously the introduction of, of aliens left me a little cold even at that that time because it, it took me out of, um, you know, the world in which Golden Knight I was, I still felt very much um, attached to that world and that universe. You know, it was believable enough. Where in Perfect Dark, I never, I never got there. I just never believed in the characters. I always liked Joanna Dark because I think she's quite well voiced, and you know, the 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 performance of her is okay. But um, I just never got involved with the story enough for it to drive be the thing that drove me through the game. Um, so was-
1: the, the way the missions are structured is like, so mission one is essentially three, three levels. So, you know, you go through the building into the basement, sort of science lab, and then you come back out again.
3: Mm,
0: and I, yeah.
1: I like I like that as a construct. But when it jumps to the villa, it's kind of a really harsh, like, tonal shift, which I kind of appreciate in some way. But the story bits in between, just they just, like I say, they were too wordy and, bo- and boring to me that I didn't really understand why until, you know, repeat playthroughs. Like, okay, why... Why? Why am I now in a villa? And it's because you know the, the you know Doctor Carroll, the the floating, camp uh, laptop is being captured, and well, he's, yes. he's hiding in the villa with da- Daniel Carrington and la 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 la. la. So and it's it's, yeah. it's all there, like all these all these things that you're doing in the game are done for a reason. But you need to put so much work in to find out what those reasons are, and that involves going into Carrington Institute and reading about the story. It's like you're reading about the story that you're in. It's like that doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> Joanna Ducks reading her own story, like. <laughs> What what is going on here? It's just, it's not. It's yeah, like it's really, in my opinion, it's a poorly told story. Uh, it's got some funny moments. It's got a bad Yoda impression, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's
0: not. The, it's not why I played. The comic the relief uh, is is obviously we've already had two mentions of it from correspondence. Uh, not not a fan of the, uh, the, the, the yeah the uh, the comic relief uh, alien, <clears throat> um, and yeah, like no, as as was typical at the time. As I say, it wasn't exceptional in this regard, but none of the vocal performances are done by actual actors. Joanna Dark, obviously the name is a reference to, or a pun on, if you will, Joan of Arc or Jean Dark. Um, There was talk of Nintendo uh, employing, or getting Rare to employ an American actor, possibly a known American actor, to provide uh, the the voice of the main character in the game. But Rare uh, resisted this um, and gave the role to... uh, Eveline and uh, Novakovic who was Eveline Fisher at the time um and she yeah like she's in she's in that making of video and she's just like yeah i i joined the team to do music and they asked me to do the voice of the character uh, so i did so i mean it's you know like tony says i don't think it's it's certainly not the you know the worst performance it's in game, but it but it's still it's yeah, but it's still like it's like it's so amateur dramatic. It sort of takes on its, mm. its sort of nat, its natural, slightly it's a, naturalistic. It's a bit off it,
3: of its time, though, isn't it? I mean, it's Total. You know, it's easy. It's I mean, easy we, now to yeah. criticize, but you know, ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm trying to
0: consider like it definitely. I'm I'm considering how I felt then and how I feel now, and I, and now I mean it. Now it's kind of actually quaint and charming, mm. but then it was just a bit clunky. Uh, but yeah. but there's yeah I don't I don't hate it for all this because it it is it has a certain yeah uh, it has a certain charm but it but it's but but I do think it's terrible by in terms of storytelling and acting. Mm.
2: I did get a good chuckle uh, at the time of uh, Daniel Carrington sounding uh, like somebody trying his best to impersonate uh, Sean Connery. Though. Bad Sean Connery.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got another. Uh, you've got another woman from the sound department playing Cassandra Devries.
4: De v- it's definitely yeah. very clumsily told. I mean, many games were. I, I, it's perhaps a limitation of the system um, that you. The way that you can deliver information, you're limited with your voice because of the memory, so there was there was never a whole load of voice acting in N64 games, for example, um, written text boxes sort of ruined the pace of the game. So for me, the story, or at least the points that I remember from the story were in the same structure that GoldenEye used of uh, points to hit per level. So the, the story for me was never one big arc in story it was, I just took them Mm. sort of on the levels. So yeah. Yeah. So it was doing like when you, if you're doing it on the easiest difficulty, you've got like three tasks, two to three tasks. And if it's on the hardest, you have like five tasks. So for me, the story was told in those little nuggets. So I would remember Mm -hmm. the mission objectives more than Mm. anything that was actually told. And then I'd construct Mm. sort of the story in my head from the things I was doing.
3: They, They clearly wanted a female protagonist here. Um, but they, I mean, they don't really do a lot with her. Um, you know, they don't really play a lot about about her in the game. And you know, Tomb Raider, obviously. A- but that's also that's also because if it's it's a first person shooter. I- I think that's an easy way to just say, well, it's, you know, it's <laughs> firstly, I mean, there's story elements in that game, that are, you know, are all around, mm-hmm. all around it. So I think they could have. Yeah. She's
0: basically a badass. That's, that's, that's all you need <laughs> to know, really. Yeah. How much she's, information she's like can be 24. given about
4: a spy? I mean, her record doesn't exist by all accounts. So the only time you actually hear about yourself is sort of from your director but i think the, yeah the the know.
0: main issue is that there's no real characterization in the game for anyone like there's the, you yeah. know the, the, it's life. it's it's a pantomime it's it's, hmm. it's
2: you could argue argue that it's a, a bit of a strength even that's not much is ma- uh, made of the fact that she's exactly
0: exactly yeah exactly my point like it's like she's basically she's there because it's not james bond because they're not working with the bond license and to to i guess to probably as much as anything just to make it more distinct from the previous game they changed the gender of the the main protagonist um, yeah. Yeah. One interesting point I wanted to make was um, she, she, uh, she makes it. Joe dark makes an, a, a really unnecessary ageist comment at Cassandra DeVries. Oh, yeah. One point she calls her old woman as if that's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a, it's a really it's pointless and nasty thing to say. Cassandra DeVries age. Yes. 39, <laughs> 39 years old, so uh, old in the game. So yeah, really old. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's talk about the graphics. Um, so we were at the uh, the change of a generation here. The Dreamcast had launched, um, which was as powerful as a as a nice little PC or something like that um, could run things in high resolution from a uh, GD ROM, whatever it is. That's right, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah a good disc. And uh, and so with the N sixty four, it had been around for. Five years at this point and was starting to show its age perhaps in some ways and as we've heard perfect dark the perfect dark team and rare as they all as rare had always done with whatever systems they worked on they were always pushing the technology and they did that with this game to the point that you needed the expansion pack to play more than the bare bones version and even then um i think even at the time Whereas Goldeneye, I remember it slowing down to staccato explosions. frames in yeah. in yeah in explosions, yeah. but generally it was not a big deal. But here there were certain areas where even from early on, especially if you put high res mode on, you were thinking um, that yeah, like perhaps we weren't as you know fully conversant with the whole concept of what that meant and why it was different in different games and stuff but obviously on the flip side of that i had been you know i've been playing arcade games Nikhil, as well would have been playing Mm. arcade games since the early days when things were 50 60 frames in the arcade and um you'd notice when you had a home conversion that didn't run as well but um so i think this was yeah where we started to perhaps see and feel when it came to uh, when it came to aiming things like that that sometimes it was actually a problem that the performance was not optimal Hmm. Memories from this at the time was it? Did, are we are we retconning this? Did it matter at all to anyone?
1: Uh to me, it didn't matter. Uh, I was a bit naive to all of the, like technical aspects of video games. Mm. I like, didn't really, didn't really bother me. Obviously, playing Goldeneye for thousands of hours, th- things like this didn't bother me. Um, but the one thing that sticks out in my mind in terms of a problem, uh, visually, not uh, technically, is that the lights are just too much. There are lights everywhere. The Corona's game. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And they, they absolutely pierced my eyeballs. And I remember <laughs> back in the day, us, you know, us pre-Rare employees at the time, we were playing this, you know, on you know, IRC going, what's up with all the lights in data dying?" you know, the first level? Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a thing that, it didn't obviously put me off playing the game, but it was kind of a thing where I ended up dealing with this by shooting the lights out and just going, right, okay, it's a more pleasant experience. <laughs>
0: Which you couldn't do in GoldenEye. And uh, no. it was a bit like JJ Abrams with his lens flares, wasn't it? It was like, oh, look, we've got this thing. It
2: looked quite uh, striking to me. Uh, And about the frame rate, Mm. um, I must say that I always was under the impression at the time that highly advanced 3D graphics came with uh, frame rate problems. Yeah, I I think I hadn't really been playing on a Dreamcast at that time. Yeah. But I played uh, first person shooters on PC, and the PCs that we had at home were usually not the most powerful ones uh, that could run everything at uh, optimal settings. So I was kind of used to tanking frame rates you know I very uh, vividly remember uh, the final uh level of Doom 2 uh <laughs> the the icon of sin with spawning and all these uh, <laughs> demons and just everything becoming a slideshow mm-hmm. so I just thought yeah it's it's normal for this type of game you know to uh, to feel a little bit
3: stuttery and yeah, jittery and Tony the says that because I had the same experience I I felt that the fact that it runs so slow was a uh, an you know an applauding to Rare for trying to fit so much into this cartridge. Like I almost saw it as a yeah. good thing that they they'd pushed this game <laughs> so hard that it barely ran, yeah. and I, I was kind of and applauding even- them for that.
0: That's exactly how modern games are greeted by modern yeah. games, isn't
3: it? <laughs> 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 no,
2: I, I I know exactly where Tony is coming from, and I still have this little thing like there's a bar- a part of me that kind of admires. Developers for not giving a crap and just you know going to town on the game frame rate be
4: damned it's uh, yeah kind of a beautiful thing in its own frame rate never (laughs) bothered me that much in the game like I was aware that it wasn't great coming into the generation of the N sixty four and having these frame rates after the PlayStation after having limited borders and stuff it didn't bother me and it was almost like it was consistently poor. So it never Obviously. felt hu- it never felt hugely variable. I mean there were moments as we mentioned when explosions went off that it would crawl, yeah. but it yeah. was it was never like it was going from sixty frames a second to fifteen. It was like fifteen <laughs> it was twelve it was between
0: yeah generally running between ten and fifteen frames a second yeah. with occasional slideshows um talking about the overall aesthetic of the game uh again playing it for the first time in two thousand after having owned a a Dreamcast for six months playing uh, Power Stone, Soul Calibur and Mm. and things like this, it was, uh, it took a a little readjustment, but obviously I'd Mm -hmm. also been playing on my N64 for five, four, five years at this point. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't impossible to do, but there was that feeling that, yeah, I, I would have quite liked to have been playing something that was higher resolution and, and faster frames, but playing it now on, on 360 or Xbox one, uh, the The textures have been uh remade in a lot of cases it's it's uh it uses uh, a larger amount of fire-res textures um but it really really does betray just how few polygons there are in a game by modern standards mm. and for me it's um it's it's kind of swings and roundabouts in in some areas, I think the game looks actually like ugly to my eyes. <laughs> it's aesthetically unpleasant, mm. but there are some other places where. Uh, there's a bit uh, with where the light coronas are all kind of amber hued. And I actually thought that that, that was quite a, a sort of evocative um, alien kind of scenario. But like the, the final level is, I just thought it was just hideous. It looks <laughs> like it makes, it makes, um, it makes Zen in Half-Life uh, look like a, a, a beautiful work of, of, wow. of art. It's a, uh, it's, it's wow. a real stinker, but uh <laughs> But I don't think the N64 version would look any better. But it would be more, you, your brain would kind of think, well, okay, it's on the N64. But yeah, that's
2: exactly it for me. This is this is why I was always hesitant to jump into the uh, XBLA <laughs> version, right? Uh, because I have this thing like, you know, Perfect Dark on the N64. It's an extremely good-looking game for an N64 N64 game. Yeah, but. Uh, The remake was uh, released in 2010. We had, you know, games like Halo Reach on the Xbox 360, Mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, uh, of course, it's uprest. You know, it has uh, high-res textures. uh, It runs at 60 frames per second, but just yeah, it it will, from a graphical perspective at least, you know, look Uh, very much subpar compared to what they've got new models in
1: there there as well. They've um, the laptop gun when deployed as a turret is is a different model compared to the n64 game so there are are different actual models and the first levels uh, skybox the buildings around you look like they've been recreated with actual graphics as opposed Mm. to just someone spraying pixels around you because on the n64 even back then i remember thinking this cityscape looks absolutely atrocious (laughs) um, (laughs) it it looks like they've done more than just a hd update with this it does
0: i would definitely regard it as one of the you know one of the stronger remasters of a game like in terms of the amount of uh, love and care that it's been put together with i think it's unusual because there aren't that many uh, that have been treated in quite the same way from the n64 we're more used to ps2 to ps3 kind of uh, remasters so it's a bit of a different job and perhaps Mm. you know they could have gone a lot lot further with it in some ways uh but it would have then been you know, it would have spiraled out into a into a much larger project. I actually think they did a really good job of keeping mm. the all the the atmosphere and everything of the original game while making it fundamentally smoother to play uh but I just think that even despite the work that you mentioned there rightly so darren uh it still looks pretty rudimentary in in areas
3: i think uh anything we do with um yeah uh, on Kane of when we talk about an older game i think you just have to keep an open mind certainly with a re-release you you know you're going to see the areas which maybe they could have masked behind a uh, you know, a little bit of the uh, textures you know or the 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 lower frame uh, the lower resolution of the game back then um you know for me like the the city um looks really good isn't it it's the chicago i think it's based in chicago city um mm. at the second or third level um yeah. looks really good i, mean, I remember at the time thinking wow like this is You know, very impressive that they've kind of fit this kind of hue of the city. I think it looks really interesting. Um, But the later level, I remember the one where the plane crashes down and you're in that kind of open snow area level. And and going back to that now, um, being able to see basically as far as you can and it just being a desert of nothing really, or a snow plane (laughs) desert of nothing really. But
1: back then I was comparing that level specifically to... Um, surface on Goldeneye, yeah. so to me it was a mm. vast uh, improvement. I was like, I can actually see the other side of the level. Like mm. that, yeah. it, it was a technically more impressive game than Goldeneye, and that's when I was playing it. That's all I was comparing it to because it, it yeah. was a sequel, you know. Um,
0: yeah, and it's it, we should remember that this this was two thousand so although the dreamcast was out most people were still playing on P- ps1 at this point because most people didn't buy a dreamcast and the ps2 wasn't out yet so by comparison there were a lot of uh, there were yeah perfect dark was still like a technical tour de force to, compared to some of the stuff that was that we were seeing released every generation has these uh, these end of generation games which are slightly beyond the machinery they're on but they've also been slightly left behind by by the, the industry and technology around them so um but we try yeah we try to regard it in its own merits and obviously we have got the then and the now because there are there are these two versions and the most recent version was a mere seven years ago or two years if you got it on but, on Rare uh, but
3: i do feel like at but the I time think... that this was a game that was pushing technology hard certainly for the platform and i remember appreciating mm-hmm. uh it for exactly that but you know wow they really have pushed in 64 hard with this release
0: the 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 visuals can also lead to some uh, navigation issues. I I find as well because the environments don't really tell. Like there are some areas where you can see exactly what they're they're meant to be. Um, but sometimes when you're when you're in an underground science lab maze or whatever, and you're supposed to be heading to, uh, the shower block to relieve some employee of their uniform there's nothing on the door or in the room to tell you it's a shower block it's just another set of slightly arbitrary abstract textures uh so stuff like that is it makes it quite easy to get lost um, but that said i found myself as i was replaying the levels you end up kind of speed running you, you learn your way around so there's, there's some satisfaction to be had by actually again not following the old golden arrow because there isn't one you have to actually uh kind of Yeah, like scope out the levels yourself before you can even attempt some of the uh, objectives, which, yeah, which again takes me back to the Goldeneye.
4: There is definitely a good sense of progression in that starting it on the lower difficulty with less objectives, learning the levels because they are quite confusing. It's sort of that strange late 90s, early 2000s style of level design where they were perhaps going more complicated than they needed to, and it didn't always flow overly well. And we mentioned this a lot on the podcast about the developments in games and the golden arrow and how the first major release that I can think of would be like Bioshock. And we think that it's been around a long time and it hasn't. So when you go back to these games, they seem awfully confusing. But learning the levels and the lower difficulties, getting the harder, more complicated objectives sort of makes or made revisiting those levels certainly more exciting and more of a treat and added to the longevity of the game um, mm. as well as adding a sense of replayability to a single-player game, which was nice.
0: So one last thing, we were talking about how much the, the game was pushing the N64 on a technical level, on a visual level, whatever else, but one of the the chief concepts that Martin Hollis wanted to employ in the game was this idea of the light and the dark, and that the clue is in the name somewhat, um, and those light coronas and being able to shoot out the lights. I remember it being something in GoldenEye that I always wanted to do, shoot out lights, and you couldn't do it. Uh, and you could do it here, but it doesn't really have other than saving Darren's eyes. It doesn't really have much of a, a meaningful effect on the game.
1: No, there's one level. Uh, I think it's the G5 building where you walk through like uh, two pa- um, panes of glass in between them, and the lights turn out, but they don't really turn out. It kind of just goes a slightly dimmer version of what you had before, and it's like oh, panic and you know. That's oh, right. Gonna... There's a room with yeah, some but... cloaked
0: enemies that goes dark, and you but can it doesn't really. you can sabotage the lights in the science. Thing, but it doesn't it just makes it worse for you not for them so <laughs> but the 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 idea was obviously in there uh, the concept was there and and uh, and the technology just just wasn't there uh unfortunately um we mentioned the uh the 16.9 option which even golden i had back in 97 uh this game also had dolby surround if you had a system to support it i don't think i knew anyone who had a dolby surround set up at this stage but there it was uh and it Also, had a language filter, so even though it had a BBFC 18 on the box in, in PAL region, you could actually turn off the bit where they say bitch. I think there's, there's hardly any like really strong language, is there? There's no F bombs, or there is. No. There, we know the game's got an N bomb in it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but um, it's. I, I remember you know, they they it's got the thing that some people weren't happy about Batman Arkham City for, which is the repeated uh, referring to female characters as, as bitches. But you know, this is, these are bad guys. Of course, they're going to be misogynist idiots. Uh, but that I can't remember any other, any other swears in the game, to be honest. So
1: no, I think that's it. That is probably um, it. Mm, yeah.
0: Mm. Um, yeah. And obviously the, uh, the, I think we may as well roll the, the sound and the weapons into one. Cause I think they're so, kind of intertwined and symbiotic. Uh one of the great things I think we all still remember fondly about Goldeneye was despite the famously kind of compressed sound that the N64 was lumbered with a lot of the time, the the machine without a sound chip, um, the gun sounds in Goldeneye were iconic and in in many cases really fantastic and satisfying, especially in tandem with the rumble pack. Um mm-hmm. and so again, Perfect Dark is really a uh, a symphony of of guns, gun noises and sound effects. So, did that work for you guys? Because it still sounds kind of iconic to me.
1: Absolutely, the guns in Perfect Dark. When you hear them being fired, either in single player or multiplayer, you know kind of exactly what gun it's going to be. So, the far sight has that pew noise, and you know the Callisto NTG has its rapid fire alien noises, and yeah. So the you the, know, dragon. The, again, so, like the dragon again, the dragon has its crazy loud. Yeah, yeah it has the same rattle and the Reaper. It sounds like um, like like the way it winds up and then before it starts firing, it's kind of its weird foamy sounding bullets. <laughs> like like I say, every time you fire a gun in Perfect Dark or when I'm being fired at, I kind of know exactly what's going on, and that's really important to uh, you know, to enjoying a, a first person shooter on a harder difficulty, uh, because you know as soon as you hear a noise, you have to react to that, and uh, I think Perfect Dark does it really well. Um, but also with the reload animations and stuff like this kind of yeah, new, for, new well, for it was, it was, the series. Yeah, thing. that's right. Yeah. And um, I, th- I wasn't really expecting like the flourish that they all have, like the cyclone reload animation, not only does it look amazing when you, it's, she's kind of uh, like loading a disc through the top of the gun, but it sounds amazing as well. Mm. And I, I, don't, I, I think they've done a, you know, a cracking job in just cramming all these reload animations and like secondary fire abilities as well, where, you know, mm. you, you throw the dragon on the floor. And to an unsuspecting player, it's a proximity mine, and but all these things just kind of culminate in a back then in a a groundbreaking first-person shooter experience. And I do think that most of it comes from the sound and you know the reload animations and the basically the thing that you're staring at for most of the game is the is the weapon.
2: Mm. I, mm-hmm.
4: I didn't find any of the weapons memorable to the degree that I remember GoldenEye's weapons. The you know the silenced pistol in GoldenEye is probably one of the most recognisable weapon sounds in any game. Yeah, and you've Um, still
0: got that effect. Yeah, the sound
4: continues the same, yeah. Yeah, you've still got that, but it's the association, that sound is associated with sort of the Walter in in GoldenEye rather than anything in this. There is an incredible number of weapons, which, as Darren mentioned, leads to reload animations and all the things Mm. attributed to them, which is far more impressive to me than the actual individual sounds that they have. For the most part, I don't really enjoy the weapon sounds but they are, you know, at least a good handful of them are memorable. Over
0: 30 weapons,
4: I think it is. I do love the importance of secondary fire mm-hmm. that that's played to weapons yeah. in Perfect Dark.
1: So some of them are rubbish, like the, the some guns just have a zoom in as the secondary fire, so it doesn't work for all of them. But playing it, you know, recently online and finding the the guns quite frustrating in a multiplayer environment is because I've played first person shooters where you have a lot of counters to these things. And in Perfect Dark, you've only got one really, which is the K7 and it's a threat detector. It's, it's a beautiful gun and it sounds amazing. Um, but we I, as, a, as a player or as Joanna Dark, I need more <laughs> things to tell me that the bad stuff's around you, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I don't feel like you get enough of that despite her being some sort of elite agent. She doesn't have enough. She has a lot of gadgets and, you know, brilliant stuff. But not enough to tell you where the threat is, and uh, unless you've got a K7. How,
3: how does that? Um, mm. Obviously, you've played this on, on the higher difficulties. How does that the, the weapons really play out on that? Because you know, I went through, you know, agent, and was it special agent? Huh. Um, yeah, and yeah. you can you can kind of run through <laughs> those scenarios, but I, I'd imagine there must be certain weapons that have to be used at certain times on the higher difficulty.
1: So in uh, the level I mentioned earlier, May and SOS, it's a bonus level, so it doesn't really count in terms of completion of the game. But your use of the dragon's secondary fire is of the utmost importance because the AI is quite rudimentary, I guess. They kind of just run towards you. They'll do a little shimmy out of the way if, they, if they're if they feeling brave. But ultimately, you can kind of guide the AI towards you. So you throw a dragon down, you alert a guy with, you know, uh, by running up to them really fast and unarming them and then running away. And then, you know, you've stole their ammo. And then the, the the four guys that you've pulled towards you then die in a blaze of glory. And then you hoover up their ammo and rinse and repeat. Um, So on Perfect Agent, I feel like utilisation of the secondary fire is 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 crucial. Like, you won't get past some of the missions unless you know how the RCP-120 cloak works, because on the Cairnston Institute mission, on Perfect Agent, when you get bombarded by the Mr. Blondes, like you've got no chance on Perfect Agent because the game is quite unfair in a lot of ways. Mm. I feel like the there's a lot of animations that you can't defeat. I think they mentioned it in the speed run, but it's kind of, kind of something I was meant to bring up in the Eye show is that if you end up with a bad RNG, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and the, and you get, you get a bad animation, you're dead because the guard's walking towards you with his gun out and there's no way of stopping that animation other than killing them. But in Perfect Dark, it's a little bit easier because you can shoot guys in the knees and the arms and stuff and they react to that. Um, so knowing how to manipulate the guards it, and and the secondary fire with the weapons is is the only way to beat Perfect Agent in my opinion. Well, it's not because I've seen the speed line, But yeah. in my opinion, like the only way I can beat it is by using these little quirks and you know and the secondary fire on and disarm
0: is, is a massive deal. It's yeah. a, it's new to this game. Both you can do it as a melee attack, a secondary melee attack, or you can disarm by literally shooting things out of people's it's, hands.
1: The speed you can get as Joanna Dark and James Bond in these games by strafing and kind of moving to the side at the same time. Like, it's a weird thing you do with the N64 pad, but you're running sideways while strafing, if you know what I mean. And you end up doing like a 45 degree run. You get so much pace and speed. You can just unarm about three or four guys in a room and just run out Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, and they make a funny noise and they kind of whip out their secondary uh, pistol in their pocket, which is, again, uh, again, again, a nice touch, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you can... Yeah, Perfect Doctor does so much in terms of like stuff that gets overlooked. Like you can shoot the gun out of a, guy, a guy's arms, and you know they, they panic in GoldenEye. It would count as uh, body damage, so mm-hmm. they've really thought about a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh...
4: Disarm is also a fantastic element of the multiplayer because it it changes the dynamic between because you're born <laughs> you're born unarmed, um, yeah. and that seems really strange now, but. If you were seeing an enemy in, say, Goldeneye, and you were unarmed and they were armed, you have to run away. But this has that sort of risk-reward thing of do you run, do you charge your enemy mm. and try and disarm them to take their gun and quickly shoot them, which is quite possible around tight corners and the uh, and the tight corridors that are in the multiplayer, or do you run? So it, it allows you to sort of go forwards and backwards, and it definitely changes up the multiplayer, and it's something that. You, Definitely get to laugh out of me when I was disarming someone in multiplayer and then using the weapon on them.
1: Yeah, and it's a br- it's a brilliant effect when you've been slapped about ten times. Your screen <laughs> goes ah! Uh, it's it's just it's just a work of art. Like your screen is yeah. is unreadable. Like it's just
0: nausea inducing. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Mm. Sean S. Thomas from the forum says the weapons were terrific. Guns you could deploy as remote cannons, rifles that shot through walls, and some of the most satisfying sounding pistols in any game I've played. I can still recall many of the game's audio effects and death screen jingles even now. Um and thinking about uh elements of uh you were mentioning the the original N64 pad. Um this game followed up GoldenEye which already had a you know slew a surfeit uh in as far as I was concerned of control options including famously um you know the kind of the thing that we take for granted now which is left left and right analog stick uh you could do it with separate controllers, controllers yeah um so this had all everything that that had added more it had a, a southport option inversion um and uh, the the xbox version even has a legacy option where you can uh, make it by default now it plays like a contemporary game um with the sticks in the place that you'd expect but you can actually flip it back and play it so as you would have done by out of the box on the n64 which mm-hmm. is with the camera uh the the c the c buttons um, moving your player around which seemed so normal then um but they also has setups which relate to contemporary games with uh spartan and duty calls relating to the obvious things um so there you know there is no way that you could not uh, you, anyone could find the the right setup for them to play this game and we we were noting again with this uh with this excellent awesome games done quick speed run. that the the guy who is this absolute ninja at this game holds his controller in a what looks like a an unusual and unconventional possibly even uncomfortable to us way but for him it gives him the fastest access and the the most consistent execution on all these fine maneuvers that he has to do um whereas i just play it on xbox like it comes really i think Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty much yeah
4: me too it's kind. It is kind of strange that it becomes almost a twin stick shooter again on the on the Xbox compared to the sort of the one stick move, stop, hold button to aim N sixty four style that we all remember. Yeah, um, you can still I, I bring find
0: the, bug it up, obviously. But
4: yeah, I found it really off putting mm. back in twenty ten when it came on the Xbox three sixty, and I found it mm. basically unplayable as a result. Mm. And I, I. Don't know why. Maybe I was so excited for it. Again, I picked that one up at day one, and then yeah, I, when when I went back to it prior to recording this episode, I realised that it actually feels pretty good. On the takes Xbox a little while to Xbox
0: readjust, one. but yeah, I think I agree. The,
4: the frame rate is maybe what put me off more than anything, and the, the, and the overly sensitive shooting. But in terms of the controls on the N64, and seeing this speed run, it boggles my mind that he's now able to play it in a way that I would have probably found really interesting and almost natural back in 2000
1: yeah on the n64 i played with 1.2 you know the turk controls um oh, right. solitaire as it was known on, in golden eye mm. i can't remember what they call it in um, perfect dark but yeah the, this the, the standard controls on xbox live arcade are just are just fine uh even if i did have to turn down every sensitivity slider yes. down to zero because it's a little bit intense
0: yeah um, yeah, so let's talk uh, about the missions and the general, yeah, the, the moment-to-moment, the single-player campaign. Uh, let's uh, kind of wrap it all up together. Um, so my memories are that I enjoyed the earlier levels more than the later levels back in the day. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was, I'd got to the stage where I was trying to get through the later levels on the harder difficulties, I was increasingly feeling like the like i am not somebody who shies away from playing old games famously quite the reverse but i definitely was starting to feel like i was being pulled away from perfect dark and the n64 by shiny things like uh, quake 3 came out on the dreamcast later that year mm. and i got a pc and so i don't think i put in nearly as much time and effort into getting good at these levels as i did with Goldeneye. um where i almost did everything back in the day not quite but uh but here, um, I found some of the later levels a little bit unfair, especially on the harder settings as as Darren mentioned, and, and so I never really perhaps gave them the attention that they deserved. Uh I've been back and I've I've recompleted the game on the easier setting and done about half of it on the on the default. And I feel actually like I feel slightly more positively about the game than I thought I was going to um because there's some cool levels to th- there and when you've seen them speed run and you realize how much kind of planning went into the design of these yeah. levels that's when mm. the appreciation really starts to come through well that's for me anyway so how about you guys
1: i think back in the day on the n64 i was a bit well, I, in fact i was completely turned off by the anything to do with the skedar uh, levels yeah and there's the that million. as well yes like I think it comes to a surprise to a lot of people who weren't paying attention to the game because in the manual they don't mention any alien in- interaction. On the front cover there is uh, Elvis and the pupil of Joanna Dark, but in terms of like press coverage, like they didn't really mention the alien stuff at all. It was kind of a bit of an unknown quantity. So when it actually when it yeah well yeah it's a twist that didn't really pay off because I remember a lot of people going, "It's a good game until you start talking to that weird <laughs> weird alien and you know the, the the rubbish xenomorphs that don't really do anything other than trying to slap you or." The, the yeah. Skedar are like, they're a complete, they're, yeah. they're, they're awful. I've always, I've never liked them. Um, yeah. It's not, be, like,
2: I just, like them better when they were disguised as humans.
1: Well, that's it, yeah, when they're, <laughs> as the Scandinavians, they're a lot more entertaining <laughs> and, yeah. you know, pleasant. Yeah, yeah. When, 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 but it's kind of, they kind of lean towards you when they're shooting. It's like, why are they shooting? Why aren't they like a xenomorph from Alien where they're attacking you like at super speed with their talons, you know? It, yeah. it never made sense to me that they had guns that I also could wield. It kind of, made them a bit more comical than what they should have been uh, and, and not in a good way. It kind of made them like, Oh yeah, you're, you're just a weird, stupid alien. It's, I, I just think they're a poorly designed enemy and they're, 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 boring to fight. Um, and you know, that, that is exacerbated with the final boss as well. It's just like the high priest skedar and it's like, that's just terrible. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the story, uh, the story, story missions are, in my opinion, a degre- a, a declining quality from the first one. It's, it's roundabout where you rescue Elvis and you use, well, you can either do it in one one of two ways. You can send the flying saucer out the door or you can escape on a hover bike, which I quite like. I quite like the fact that you can alter the story very, very minorly by doing different things in the level. So in Air Force One, you can lower a hover bike, which means in the next level, yeah. you'll have a hover bike to fly around in. I, I enjoy mm. that. And that's good, um, you know, player it's rewarding the player with actions that they don't need to do. You can also get into Air Force One by, in the level prior to that, when you're in the airport, you can go through the lasers and up inside uh, from Mm, underneath mm. uh, Air Force One, or you can go in through the traditional way of going through where all the normal people go through. And there's little things like that that make the game a bit more cohesive than anything I've played on the N64. And, you know, that's why I do, you know, have a, a great love for this game. But as soon as it starts going towards the alien levels and, you know, the... It, yeah. it, it just comes off as a third rate and that's not what i expect from rare like i expect rare to pop out some impressive ideas and the skedar just felt like they had a poor version of ridley scott's alien you know and it was like oh brilliant they're, yeah, they're, it, these, these are guff and i'm not yeah I,
2: it's some, I, something that i really um uh, um enjoyed in theory or I like the idea of it, like the the twist that came with it, but definitely it fell short in its execution and they're just not very interesting enemies to fight. Mm. But uh, like Leon, I also uh, feel more uh, appreciative this time around, just what the the amount of thought and planning that went into the actual levels.
4: It's a common flaw in games that add a science fiction element that I don't like. I don't like organic design a lot of the time. Um whether it's because there seems to be a lack of order or organization to it because it's more naturally flowing or just the look of it. Um, Perfect Dark certainly falls into that. I mean, I love the Halo franchise. That's another game that has done it for me. Uh, Half-Life had Zen, which was atrocious, but thankfully it was right at the end of the game. Um, But it definitely ended it on a bad note. The fact that Perfect Dark has it so broadly with the with the weapons and that it takes that turn towards the end, it caused me to switch off completely from my interest in the game. I lost that grounding in that sense of reality of being a spy in in the world, yeah. and once that had gone, it's not something that's going to come back. And then you get obviously the comedy elements of Elvis, the alien, and comedy it, inverted commas. Yeah, (laughs) It, it, it just it left an awful taste to that game. I would have preferred it to have all been sort of straight up. And for the longest time, it was science fiction put me off in a first person shooter, I guess. And then I look back and I think the majority of Halo I do actually quite like. Uh, Bioshock did a great job of science fiction in the game, even System Shock 2. Well, if they'd start with it. all
0: Blade Runner type stuff, I know you're a huge fan of the movie. Um, if it, if they'd gone down the route of uh, neo noir, you know, neon lit, smoky uh, spies in a in a future dystopian Earth, maybe that would have worked. But it's one it's one it's once the Mayans and the Skedar come on board that things really go yeah uh, so yeah they're shaped
2: I think that that would have been a lot pro- probably could have turned out a lot more stronger, but also let's not forget that almost all first person shooters up until the time had science fiction elements in yeah them. very true uh <laughs> it
0: was yeah we were kind of be- even before the the world War two revolution with the uh, Medal of honor and and things like that uh it was it was just the norm that they were either. Yeah, uh, so some, even Doom was some kind of sci fi, albeit bringing in the Definitely. kind of supernatural it, horror element. It's
3: fair, I, I feel like I'm more like you, Leon. I, I feel like, you know, looking back in 2000, that I don't remember particularly loving the game. I, I remember completing the game and thinking that it mm. was relatively hard. Um, but I, I never walked away from Perfect darkness this was for years thinking, wow, that was a bona fide classic. And in fact, I think I, I enjoy the kind of the the cover art and the box and, and all the kind of stuff that goes with Rare more than I ever kind of remember back to the game. And just, yeah, the laptop gun and certain elements of the game that I remembered being, oh, yeah, yeah, Rare made that game in it and it was pretty good, but it was, you know, not as memorable as Goldeneye. And that seems like a really easy simplification of what the game was. But actually going back and playing it now in 2017, I, I found it a more enjoyable experience than I, I thought it was going to be. Um, You know, I think it has mm. a certain amount of charm. I've, I've been fascinated um, watching Darren replay this stuff on the higher difficulty level. You know, we have a, a Slack channel that we uh, use as a team and seeing Darren go back and, and talk about his experience on the harder difficulties levels. And, you know, my playthrough this time has primarily been on agent and I've missed around some, you know, special agent um, thereafter just to kind of bury stuff up and then to, to see Darren talk about some of these. Uh, these tactics and and watching the speed run and, and kind of just live in that world a little bit of Perfect Dark. I think my appreciation of the level design for back in 2000 has actually gone up than what it was then. Um. Yeah, so, same. yeah, it's quite an odd one. Like, yeah, I think you can see more flaws that what the game had now. But even, I remember back in 2000, walking away from that game, not being particularly like, I, I played it once and, and that was good enough. I also think it, that plays is what I've been saying all along. I think it came in a very transition period of of consoles and i would probably just moving on i had a pc and all that's that stuff at that time so but it's been fascinating to see darren talk about and you know knowing his his love of rare and Mikkel's love of rare and listening to you know them talking about a long you know long love of, of playing that game on the harder difficulties and even you know you know many many 17 years later going back and doing that stuff and and <laughs> there is certainly a depth there that sh- you know that shines through but i have to say you know back in 2000 i i although the scores obviously 90 you're pretty much 95% across the board that's that's not where i came out of it i felt like it was an okay game
4: i mean just just to mention about my my feelings on the the change in the single player and uh, normally it would have really upset me and whilst i was disappointed by the change to sci-fi it didn't sort of kill the experience of perfect dark for me and that was because Perfect Dark was the first game that I'd bought for its multiplayer element over its single-player element. And it's quite a common thing now that people would buy a Battlefield game because it's got multiplayer despite a single-player element or a Call of Duty, for example. They'll buy it for the multiplayer and not play the single-player. Both of which are the case for me now, but prior to Perfect Dark, that had never been the case. I was buying, even with GoldenEye and and its much-heralded multiplayer before it was even released... It was the single-player game that I wanted to play, and it had multiplayer. Um, And we'd had, at this point, two multiplayer-only games in Unreal Tournament and Quake 3, uh, both of which had played. So for Perfect Dark, it was a local multiplayer game first. So when the the single-player did take that turn, and I thought, I'm not really enjoying this anymore... I had that multiplayer there and that was the foundation of my purchase. So it never really left a bitter taste. And it's only really looking back on it now that I realized that if I was scoring it, I probably wouldn't have scored it negatively then because I was playing it as a multiplayer game and I loved it. So unlike Tony, it probably would have been like a high nine.
0: Yeah, I guess I bought it because I'd loved single player GoldenEye and me and my friends had played Tons of multiplayer, GoldenEye. Um, so I guess it was about it was it was a sum and sum purchase for me. I was obviously looking forward to the expanded uh, options that I knew were were supposed to be coming in the multiplayer, but also having a whole basically another set of levels. Uh, we we haven't talked about the fundamental uh, moment to moment in terms of playing and controlling, but Joanna Dark is you know, the, the the feel of controlling the game is near nearly identical to GoldenEye. I would say and Mm -hmm. um and that's fine that's what i wanted um but i think yeah going back to the idea of the the story going down the alien route i think a lot of people just wanted to yeah be a spy more but um the thing that obviously they brought into goldeneye that is now kind of legendary was this uh these sort of three stages of difficulty uh where not only was it about how much damage you took and gave out how smart the enemies were um i mean See Halo is a series that's celebrated for having these uh, particularly distinct um, difficulty settings, but it's more based around the AI of the enemies. But here you've got elements of that, but you've also got the uh, the things that you need to achieve in the level, the different uh, objectives, objectives. That's the official word. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And uh, and yeah, actually. I find playing playing the game now, and certainly the high level play that that you watch, kind of uh, backs this up. It's as much a, a puzzle game as it is a uh, as it is a shooter. In that there's there's a very definite sequence that even yeah. if you don't use glitching or anything, any of, any of that, any cheats, any tool assisted or whatever, even if you just play the game as default, it's as much about knowing and uh, knowing the sequence of events and the optimum optimal order in which to do them. And whether you find that entertaining or not is probably down to you as a person. But actually, I find it quite refreshing uh, to go to play a game with these with these objectives and they're not completely spelled out. There is no golden arrow. So you do have to do some some digging.
2: Yeah, I think its greatest strength, uh, strength is that um, it introduces various goalposts uh, to a level. And let's also not forget that on the uh, higher difficulties, it's not just the uh, objectives that get added, it's actual extra sections to levels that get mm-hmm. added. So they yeah. really expand yeah. in multiple, multiple directions, the higher the difficulty you go. Um, that's something I would have actually liked to see a lot more in, uh, in first-person shooters.
1: Mm. Is uh, Perfect Docs harder than Goldeneye, like, factually, uh, in terms of AI uh, behavior? Like, yeah. It, uh, from the face value, they do look like GoldenEye guards in that they'll just run towards you. But, you know, th- like I said earlier, they do shimmy out the way. They also shoot um, across gaps now, whereas they never did in GoldenEye. Oh, you yeah. always saw gaps as like walls. And <laughs> uh, that's how you beat Jaws on 00Agent back in the day is that you just ran around this rectangle and he couldn't shoot across the gaps. When they first <laughs> shot when they first shot across gaps in Perfect Dark, I was like, that's a game changer. And that was genuinely exciting. Yeah. So th- they do have gameplay elements that make the game harder. But also they have cheating moments of... Um, that's the
0: flip side, yeah.
1: Like they... So when your health is below the green and it enters the red, they're act- they're actually more aggressive and a bit more aware of, you know, your position and they will gun you down faster. And to me, that doesn't feel fair. That feels... They're, like, uh,
2: they're like sharks. They, they smell
1: your blood. <laughs> yeah, you that's know? it. And they're, they're coming the, for you. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll take you down quicker. And that, again, yeah. like, that doesn't work for me in terms of a gameplay design because... Is it just me? I
2: was I was playing today uh, as a refresher. Is it just me, Darren? Or uh, is it also... I, I noticed a couple of enemies just funneling through a door like they used to do in Goldeneye. Yeah. But then when I was taking one or two down, some were actually turning around and running back to where they came from to to get out of the way. They, they, they can't Does that be, actually happen?
1: No, I don't think they do. I think that was just a bit of you know weird AI. But they do other things where you can punch the gun out of their hand and they'll put their hand up and surrender. And yeah. you can you can do there's a, there's a lot going Drug on in their this leg. game that
0: you don't enjoy that. You
1: can, you, I hear you can oh when when you shoot them in their head and their their kind of head kind of snaps back. Oh, that's yeah. that's always a bit unnerving yes. and it's always a bit. <laughs> I, I think that's <laughs> probably why the game got an eighteen rating mm. because that's that's a <laughs> bit disgusting. But yeah, um, but yeah, like Perfect Dark is it's a, it's a hard game for both good and and bad reasons, and you kind of have to work to both these, both of those, really. You kind of have to fight them back. They're kind of like in Dark Souls, you know, uh, Dark Souls reference, but he, yeah. he, if you can cheese Continue. the enemy, then yeah, de- definitely cheese the enemy. And uh, Yeah, I,
0: I, do you know what? I was, I've never thought about this through before, but I would kind of like it if there had been the option to play the, uh, the more convoluted levels with more objectives, but without the added agony of the really unfair damage and stuff that you take from the harder enemies so so that yeah. they could almost make the objective difficulty uh distinct from the from the the shooty shooty yeah. difficulty because yeah. some of it's kind of beyond me uh
2: it's such a such a steep difficulty curve going on onto a higher difficulty it's incredible yeah
0: but having said that having been back through some of the game even just like having played through it on the easiest setting which you can pretty much just auto aim and run through and then going back to the default setting which is uh, i'd say you know a fun mostly fun level of challenge depending on the the level that you're on uh yeah even that is a big step up um and yeah to go the extra mile then you really are in in the realm of not only solving those puzzles and working out the optimal route but also needing to execute everything like first time and yeah no misses no Mm. no flubs (laughs) that kind of thing
1: it, it borders yeah. on not being fun though. The only reason why I replayed it for a perfect uh, agent is because I know the levels inside out because that's who I am. You know, whenever I play a rare game, I don't really think about well, rare N64 game I should say. I don't really think about what I'm doing. It's just kind of done because it's pre programmed in my head. Yeah. But well, that, when I when I take when I take it. a step back, yeah. I know I know that these levels, from a you know, from a difficulty point of view, they're just not fun on perfect agent. Mm. And um mm. It's yeah, it's, it's a shame because, like you say, you you kind of wish you had an option to see what good because you've literally not seen rooms and things that mm-hmm. happen in the game because you you can't get beyond this this difficulty barrier. And there's some good stuff in there, you know, and it, they kind of make the levels more well, they make them complete because there's a yeah. in the first level, for example, you you have to get this guy who's like uh, talking behind this uh, <laughs> yeah. r- this office, and he's like years, years. I agree, and he's like, and then you know you bust him out. And there's things that can happen that affect the game on Perfect Agent that are quite serious. You know, you can run off and trigger some guards, Mm. or you can chase after him. And then if he runs off again, he'll open a door that has a laptop gun, and that doesn't really happen in Agent because your objective is just to get to the bottom as fast as you can. But in Perfect Agent, like there's so much more game to be played. But it's you're you're obstructed by this ridiculous difficulty. I also love
3: the fact that the cutscenes play out, and you can. You know, choose to skip the cutscenes and then interact the world at a different frame, at different time as well. But
1: well, that's the speed yeah, run thing, isn't that's... it? That you need so, like, on the first level, you need to be six seconds into the cutscene to make <laughs> that the level. You know, the level be in a state where you can run through where the doors are open and the lifts are up at a mm. certain time. I, I've done that in the quick rinse for the uh, YouTube channel, so if you're interested, mm. then check that out. But you know, I do speed run this game on the easier difficulties because I, I, I find that a fun thing to do, not because I want to be you know world champion but because you know I, I guess i do like time trials but it happens to be in first person yeah shooter. totally and and i and, think yeah.
0: it's testament to the quality of design of the levels that it it inspires people to speed run it and they're still doing it and like it's mm-hmm. a completely expected feature but the xbox version obviously has leaderboards in it and ti- you know time it, it gives you a score and a time doesn't it mm-hmm. so yeah so, yeah, that's great. Obviously, the the original cart didn't have the same way of doing that. And and when you see people speed running games, they've got all this screen furniture now kind of, you know, they, and but they do a manual stopwatch countdown to start and things like that. Whereas, you know, the, the Xbox version does it all for you, which is, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deacon 5 OC from the forum says, my introduction to Rare was the introduction of Joanna Dark to the gaming world. Perfect Dark was the first first person shooter that I gave significant replay time to. Completing extra objectives, the variety in weapons, the many modes of play. It actually is one of the first games where I just explored the surrounding areas. I love just walking around the Institute and discovering new areas. Yeah, uh, and it's good to be reminded of, of that sort of experience as well, because, yeah, there were things which were sophi- incredibly sophisticated for then, uh, I think, mm-hmm. about the, the experience. But I think uh, thinking about and having attempted some of these levels again recently, I think some games are still... Some shooters, even though they have a lot of this stuff has been kind of absorbed by developers over the years, I still think that stuff that you were just talking about, Darren, about characters behaving in certain ways, depending on certain situations, I still think there's probably not enough of that to make modern shooters as interesting as they could be. In a lot of cases, they still tend to, you know, they might be smarter about hiding behind uh, crates and and whatever, but they don't, they, 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 they seldom surprise you with their behavior. Whereas in this game, I've actually thought, hang on, what, what, oi, what's he doing? You know, so. Mm.
1: Yeah, like (laughs) picking up guns off the floor that, you know, you or someone else has dropped. Like there's a lot going on in Perfect Dark that gets largely overlooked because, uh, you know, there's there's so much to look at in Perfect Dark that, you know, the small things of a guy limping around holding his leg, Mm. like it kind of gets looked over because there's a lot going on in this game. And yeah, I do wish that more games um, had it. But on the flip side of that, Perfect Dark also has the worst kind of this because the Skedar are are the complete opposite (laughs) to what the humans are in this game, you know?
0: Moving right along, I must talk a little about the music. Um, I have uh, mixed feelings, personally. Uh, I think some of it's pretty cool. I like the sort of uh, some of the the sci-fi synthy stuff that introduces Joanna to the level and stuff like that, but... Uh, there are some there are some melodies in there i mean there's some of it just sounds like it's straight out of golden eyes some of it sounds like it's straight out of mm. banjo kazooie and some of it sounds like um <laughs> some of it sounds like really uh farty xbox uh, x xbox? files rip off stuff which i find mm. painful to the ear so mixed bag uh it it sounds like itself and that's cool if but i think if i came to it now i, I probably wouldn't be very impressed and in fact if i'm honest i used to turn the in level music off because i preferred the just playing with the silence and the gun sounds
1: Standout for me is just um walking around chicago level the music for that is not so good on its own but when you're in the environment and you hear the robot stop where you are (laughs) and the police sirens going over and like the music and the sound effects all come together within the level but when you take it out of context ah I enjoy it because it's perfect dark, and you know when I hear a certain track, I hear, I see the level in my head. You're disposed but, towards it. Yeah. yeah, as as music to listen to, I, I rarely go back and listen to the soundtrack independently. No,
2: it sounds big though. I, I'm not a fan of the overall compositions or anything in particular, but it does manage to to uh, fill the room quite nicely with a with a good set of speakers.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you know when um when the music uh like so this, the tracks have like a normal version so infiltration and then there's infiltration x that the the x versions of the tracks are, are they're faster because you're trying to get to a certain point within a time limit and those tracks for me are more exciting because they are faster and i do enjoy a, a you know a quicker pace of track uh generally and so when i you know when i hear the the x versions of these tracks i you know that does get my blood pumping a bit more because they're supposed to, but also because I think they're a a better track. You know, there's there's more energy behind them.
0: Um, Mauricio MM from the forum would like to tell us that even though he didn't own an N64 back then and never owned one, this was a game he played most of on that console in his teenage years, spending hours and hours on a video game cafe, like an internet cafe, but with consoles, playing it without a care in the world. Mauricio says, you know, I've never stopped to think about what attracted me to about Perfect Dark until now. I guess it was mainly three things the level design, the weapons, and the spy stuff. The missions had interesting layouts, and I loved how, as the difficulty raised, the maps opened up to more areas, and the objectives got more challenging, not simply because the enemies could take more damage. The game also had a great variety of weapons with a cool sci-fi look and interesting secondary modes, especially the unusual ones like the Bondesk laptop gun, the innocent looking but dangerous Phoenix the Skedar rocket launcher, Slayer, capable of firing remote controlled rockets and the impressive Farsight. The espionage aspect was the thing that I liked most about its story and gameplay. I loved using the cam spy and its variants. Plus, it had some truly exciting missions like the ones where protagonist Jaina Dark is trying to save the US president or the Carrington Villa hostage crisis. Back then, I didn't have high expectations about video game plots. All I cared was that they were fun and hopefully unique experiences. Luckily, this game had good entertainment value and its campiness didn't repel me. I consider it my favourite FPS at the time until two more serious and more engaging games came into my life, Half-Life 2 and Bioshock. So, yeah, it had its uniqueness and it was certainly fun and memorable in its goofy way. But for me, the bar was raised shortly after. I still have good memories of it,
3: though, which is nice.
0: Probably haven't got time to go into depth, but I think it's definitely worth remembering that as well as uh, the shooting range in carrington villa which you could spend hours on if you wanted to and certainly the uh, xbox uh, version encourages this with achievements i think uh there's also the challenges which are sort of preset game modes and arenas with different sets of enemy ai that you have to beat and there are mm-hmm. low how many of those are there? there's like 30 something
1: uh, 30 yeah and i think i think there's a, a hidden thirty first, but i couldn't be 100 percent sure on. sounds that.
0: quite possible yeah um mm. but there's also co-op and counter-op so i remember just dabbling with these um and thinking how cool that they were in there but i never had the right scenario to actually engage with them properly but did any of you
1: I dabbled uh, the counter op is more of a curiosity than an actual for, for me a mode to play right. um you know you just stuck it on because it, it's interesting to see how your friend acts around you trying to complete these objectives in the yeah. single player game you know it's, it's it's a good thing that they tried and i'm surprised more games haven't tried since yeah. like i think Le- left for dead kind of has that with the you know the you you know well basically the multiplayer mode in that game is kind of counter-operative in that you have to take down the guy who's trying to reach to the end but in perfect dark it's more objective based um but again it doesn't really like because it doesn't actually add to the main progress of you know gameplay i never really saw it as a as a focus mm. um and the co-op is good you know it, it works and it works as intended but the same reasons apply in that you get a separate set of stars to tick off, but it never, that they weren't gold stars. They were like silver stars to me, like, (laughs) you know, subconsciously that's not good enough. Like I want actual progression to be ticked off somewhere else rather than Mm. And also, you're playing with someone who doesn't really take it as seriously because the, it's not it's not their cartridge, so they're running around like <laughs> lunatic, and you're just like, well, hold on, we're trying to do this properly. And, yeah. and
0: the tec- and the technical side, the yeah. frame rate suffered. Um, but you can yeah. do all this stuff online, on live, I presume, with friends. Uh
1: yeah, yeah, you can
2: do all that. I think it's incredibly cool that the, those modes are in there as multiplayer variants. Uh, but like you, Leon, uh, I've only ever dabbled with me. I do remember a, a couple of very cool moments in co-op, though. Just. Coming out of uh out of an elevator, one one player crouching down and the other standing above them and just letting rip with uh, yeah. with machine guns and just uh, laying laying waste to a room. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it, it always felt like uh, something fun to toy around with, not mm. something to invest a lot of time
1: in. The suicide pill was a good mechanic. I enjoyed that. Um, so in counter operative, I should specify, if you found yourself spawned as an enemy in the wrong location, you could take a suicide pill and. Yeah. Even though the jingle for dying in Perfect Dark isn't as good as the James Bond noise, <laughs> you know, it, it was still a good, you know, addition to the game. Because otherwise, you could be stuck on the other side of the map, just thinking this is rubbish.
3: I played co-op uh, a few years back. All um, oh, right. Out of curiosity, just you know, had the cart there, and my friend Paul was around. Uh, we lasted two two levels before the frame rate was too much to bear, and okay. and out. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, try it again on uh, on on Xbox.
4: Yeah, I would. Do. I never. I never actually got to play them. It was one of those things that whenever I broached the subject, it was, no, I just put multiplayer on. Um, And I think conceptually, counter-op is a fantastic idea, Mm. but you can understand the limitations in a game like this at the same time. Like um, if you're playing with a friend, it it seems odd that that friend wants to stop you from progressing if you're not just playing straight-up multiplayer. Mm. So that, that, that always seemed a bit off-putting to me. But as a concept behind a full product, I think it would be really interesting. Mm.
2: Yeah. I, I imagine the uh, counter up being incredibly unbalanced as well. Think, think of how difficult the main game can already be. And then when there's an actually thinking opponent running around the map trying to uh, mess you up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. From the forum, Craig says the counter op multiplayer mode is something I'm amazed we didn't see take off more. Essentially, one of you plays the single player normally and the other takes control of the low level, low health grunts that make for enemies in the game. I guess the balance is broken as you just rush the player's location wherever you are. But whether it was fair and balanced isn't really the point. It was just a lot of fun. So some people had some good times with it. Uh, So we've kind of obviously uh, danced around a multiplayer quite a bit. Uh, as was we played some yesterday evening on the old xbox live uh in the inception mode of on xbox one on xbox 360 on rare replay was it on xbla possibly <laughs> who knows um different versions different controllers uh but uh we played for a good solid couple of hours obviously you know we all know each other we're friends we had a laugh uh but i have to say as a simple very old school but Entirely functioning, the, the first person, you know, three D shooter. We, ha- I, well, I had a good time. I enjoyed it. Uh, we shot each other. We died. Sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it was a bit um, quaint in some of its uh, mechanics and, and certainly the way it looks. But actually. It ran really, really smoothly over live. It it ran really well. Like, there was no lag, well. no lag, um, which you'd think you'd take for granted. But then, if if you've ever tried to play certain other ancient XBLA games over live, peer to peer, like <laughs> Doom, and and loads of others actually that I've tried, um, it's it's often often a nightmare. So whatever they did, I don't know the reason for that. Um, we've all got good internet, I know, but even so, uh, yeah, it, it was we we had fun. Didn't I actually
3: we? really enjoyed it. And, and in fact, yeah. um, it was nice because I think every one of us kind of had our, you know, one or two games where we were pretty good in it. Um, yeah. It wasn't just one person Definitely dominating, we which is yeah. my experience when we played Goldeneye, which is just Darren, every game <laughs> dominating ridiculously. Um, but no, I, you know, simplistic by today's standards, of course, but then there's a certain charm to that as well. You know, the, the maps, you know, aren't complex, Yeah. You know, um, they're fairly simply laid out, but the, and the weapons aren't particularly um you know there's only what half a dozen a dozens or so weapons, so you know it keeps it. But uh, like Darren said earlier, there's
0: thirty weapons, aren't there? Okay,
1: okay. You can only have six
3: yeah. at any one time, though. You um, can't have true. a map
1: for full of thirty weapons. But
3: like like Darren says, you know, I, I think you know it it doesn't have the the grace of of multiplayer now, where you know there's there's things to counteract certain other elements. Um, but you know as a sit down as a, a bit of fun. Uh, last, you know, a couple of nights ago. It, it was really good, uh, a good time. I don't remember, uh, I didn't play much multiplayer on the on the N64 version, so I'm not too sure how that stacked up back then. Um, which I'm I sure remember, Michael you're counted. making
1: all the puns. You're making it, all the puns.
0: It was... <laughs> The thing I remember about it is we, we did play it quite some and, and playing it again uh, yesterday reminded me of that. I did know some of the maps reasonably well, which suggests that I did play it a fair amount, although it didn't last as long among me and my friends as Goldeneye did. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, 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 the thing I the main thing I remember about it at the time was uh, arguing actually with a friend, fr- friends who adored Goldeneye, but weren't keen on perfect art because of Elvis the alien and things like that. And I remember kind of saying, well, definitively, the multiplayer is more fully featured. It has got so much stuff in it that you can pretty much replicate most of the stuff you could do in GoldenEye and more. But by the same token, there are so many options and weapons and uh, sim variants. I mean, it's almost limitless, isn't it? What you can do, but. There, there was one point I think Carl said last night. Like, do you, do you ever get that feeling? Some games have got too many options because, like, some modes just don't work. Or you know,
1: those options were created by me. I was doing custom kind of. So yeah. like, there, there was a there was a mode where we all had uh, everything was cloaks apart from rockets. Uh, there was one rocket or maybe two rockets in the map. That was actually that, that was created by myself. Yeah, like, Just that's a mode to. that I made up. Yeah, yeah that's the problem yeah. is that we were killing ourselves and it took too long. But that was as a mode was created by myself. And that's why Perfect Darks Multiplayer is or was such a groundbreaking feature mm. because it was so customizable and, you know, yeah. uh, everyone had a say around your telly. It's like, no, we're not having that because it's rubbish. You know, we would do, do combat combat knives only or well, not if you've got the Japanese version. But, yeah. you know, um, as a game as a um an evolution of GoldenEye multiplayer. This was just absolutely, I I couldn't fathom how much there was to do in this game, and you yeah. know m- maybe playing it recently on the Xbox One with every re- replay, I didn't kind of uh, enjoy it as much yeah, as I used to. You were the to, most crystal. That's, it's that's, quite funny. Yeah, you know, I just I think it's just one of those games where you see each other and it's just whoever press the trigger. F- I know that if that's what shooters it uh, shooters are, but you in this it case, right it down. felt like. Yeah. Th- it was just kind of just two guys running towards each other and whoever pressed the trigger first won. I didn't find there was much nuance to no, combating each other, true. you know? Yeah.
2: When uh when uh Perfect Dark came out, uh it was one of the sad things about it that this was uh already past the heydays of uh N64 four player multi-party multiplayer parties at my, my place. Yeah. So it's I could just couldn't get the uh, amount of interest the people around anymore. People had moved on to other consoles, other systems. Okay. and um, But I, I did put so much time in, uh, into creating these uh, scenarios involving mm-hmm. uh, various bots and their AI settings. It yeah. was so much fun. I, I have one scenario still saved onto my cart, uh, which has uh, a bunch of scientists running around uh, with a coward AI. Uh, so they just run from everyone that they, they see and, and mm. their uh, skill level is set to the lowest possible amount. And then there's uh, Mr. Blunt, uh, who I gave uh, Predator AI, and he's in his own team. The scientists are on the, in their own team and the players in their own team. And because of the the uh, scenario settings, the winning conditions, yeah. it's uh, uh, amassing a certain amount of... Ki- or the, the most kills in a uh, in a um, yeah, set amount of time. Mm. It becomes a match between uh, the player player's team and Mr. Blonde, who kills the most scientists uh, <laughs> that's very uh, cool. uh, in those times. Yeah, that's so good. those kind of things I messed around so much yeah. with and I tried to get <laughs> tried to get a lot of people to play them with me, but never as much as I would have liked.
0: When we were playing last night, I was having a good time. You know, when we got to the end of a couple of hours, we were probably all thinking, well, we may, <laughs> may or may not yeah. ever play that again. Uh, and I was actually thinking... I, I kind of want to fire up Battlefield 4 now or something just to look at it, <laughs> just to see like, how it, how good it looks. Hmm. Uh, Loki from the forum says, when when the stick on my last good controller wore out, as they would, I could no longer make Joanna run at maximum speed, but I wasn't ready to give it up. So I simply started strafing, strafing everywhere. I hmm. learned all the angles of every map so I could traverse them without really seeing where I was going. And as for aiming, well, the game did most of that to begin with. I got so used to it that I would do it even with fully working controllers at friends' houses, which they mocked me at least until I strafed circles around them and made their tiny squares of the screen perfectly dark.
1: Perfect crab. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, One thing we must mention as a nugget that people probably know, but uh, while the game was in production, uh, there were plans to include the feature that would allow you to use the uh, N64 transfer pack along with the Game Boy camera, and superimpose faces onto mm-hmm. uh, in, onto your multiplayer character, also enemies in single player. Um, but uh, ultimately, they were worried about potential controversies about shooting your friends, basically, and, and things like that. So oh. it was corrupt. <clears throat> uh, but not, I don't know anyone who had a Game Boy camera. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it would, uh, would you have had to color it in? Because the Game Boy camera was...
1: No, nah, there were grayscale
0: faces. Grayscale faces.
4: It was, and they were yeah, it awful good. quality okay. as well.
0: Yeah, very well.
1: Although pl- playing this Xbox Live version, um, mm. I, I, there are people who still work there when I was there, yes. and their faces crop up in the game more often than I would like. And I end up shooting Richard Cousins in the face about a hundred times a session. Yes, like oh, he was the guy who trained me how to be a QA tester, Richard Cousins, and he's um, I think they use his face more often than not in that game because, uh-huh. or, or I'm aware of it because I know who he is, and uh, yeah, I've I've kind of got that weird, you know that feature it kind of works in this game. yeah you're, because you're in a select
0: <laughs> band there yeah for sure yeah yeah um obviously if you're playing the 360 version you may recognize uh peter molyneux if you're playing the n64 original you will see shigzi in there miyamoto san uh and they also included in the multiplayer selection uh four different uh dinner jackets or tuxedo players uh to represent the, the four bonds at the time Uh, Sean S. Thomas says, I spent most of my time with the game playing two player against some very tough bots. We would push the settings of the game to breaking point and enjoy the challenge of being outnumbered and outgunned. When you won a contest, it brought that sense of reward only the finest games do. Uh, And Darren, one of the games you set up for us was a uh, game against all the hardest uh, <laughs> s- sims yeah, with far- dark, s- sim. dark sims with farsight cannons so you just spawn die spawn die spawn die and that was some some miserable art. wasn't it some <laughs> but it was also hilarious and uh yeah uh pointless mephisto 667 uh this i think is uh yeah a sort of uh, an overall love letter to perfect dark so i had to include it i think this is a new contributor as well welcome mephisto I think every person who loves this hobby has one game that really confirmed their passion. Perfect Dark was that game for me. Goldeneye had been a staple with me and my friends for a couple of years at that point, enough that any use of proximity mines in multiplayer matches had been banned when I was involved. Yes, I was that guy. But the amount of time I spent with Perfect Dark eclipsed anything I had spent on any console game by far. Over the journey, I managed to reach rank two with two multiplayer profiles and rank one once. Despite my deplorable accuracy medal count, my eventual time played with that first account was a shade over 24 days, which isn't something I ever told my parents. For several years after the game's release, I would come home from school each Friday afternoon and play a few hours of Perfect Dark with one of my best mates. Our game was the combat arena, random weapons, the two of us among a pack of AI sims, deathmatch to 50. The variety of weapons was second to none, with a great array of game changing secondary functions, be it the sentry laptop gun the magazine emptying cyclone or the bouncing proximity grenade. My personal favourite was always the dragon, which could be dropped as a proximity mine and blow up an unsuspecting player or sim. But it was the sims that made this game the game of choice for me. I can still remember the fear of fragging a feud or venge sim on perfect difficulty and the knowledge that it would stalk you for the next several minutes, inevitably killing you again and again. Let me give you just one story of the joy this game brought me. We were playing on the car park level with a group of hard sims with a variety of personalities. My friend Mark had just respawned and ran for the nearest pickup, which turned out to be the perennial favourite, the combat boost. Running towards the door in the corner of the room, Mark triggered the boost and time slowed to a crawl. As he approached the door, it slowly began to open with the feet of an enemy sim materialising in his path. Exclaiming fiercely, my friend backed away from the door, very slowly, trying to get some distance before his seemingly inevitable death unbeknownst to my friend I was following that very sim with my one hit kill crossbow drawn I took the shot in a moment that only split screen multiplayer can produce I watched on Mark's screen as the door finally opened and the sim seemed to pause briefly taking aim before a crossbow bolt appeared in slow motion through the sim's head sticking firmly out the other side the scream of surprise followed by the senseless babbling and scattered expletives was enough to ruin the rest of my match as I gasped for breath in hysterics has the story expanded into hyperbole over time? Almost definitely. But 15 or so years later, I still laugh at this memory. I'm not sure about you, but I can't ask for anything else from my favourite hobby. Yeah, so we didn't need to do two hours of podcasting because that really sums <laughs> the, the, the magic of it all up. Uh, and yeah, you should absolutely listen to Mephisto there uh, over any uh, kind of <laughs> half, half recollections that I've got. Um few other little nuggets and secrets of trivia uh the famous wine cellar uh carrington's villa shoot all the bottles and uh bad sean connery impersonator says act your age joanna i think is that right
1: yeah yeah that's what he says there's a bit of
0: uh, swiss cheese on every level which was some kind of weird leftover from something oh that's right it was uh, one of the lead graphic artists told one of the other artists that they're uh, part of the president's plane looked like a bit of Swiss cheese. And so they deployed a little bit of actual cheese in every level. And there were rumors, as I recall that if you interacted with everyone, something would happen, but that was complete nonsense.
1: Yeah. There was all sorts going on because it was post stop and swap. So any rare game <laughs> that had any sort of secret, the, the script on the website, um, you know, rare website, they had a section called scribes, where a guy called Lee Love, they would reply to a bunch of fans, and he would just wind everyone up <laughs> maximum.
0: Yeah, uh, hmm. there's a BAFTA award which uh, in a safe which relates to the one they won for GoldenEye. Uh, there's I never knew this until the other day, but as mm. as as you shoot through the sky in the opening level, you can just about make out a neon sign which reads Anal
1: Land. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. So, I've no, I know. I only noticed that recently too, but I'm not surprised it's been in there all this yeah. time. <laughs> um,
0: there's a, a red herring keyhole in area 51 somewhere and there's an, another red herring a question mark uh crate in the warehouse in multiplayer.
1: God that would well, they wind me up.
0: Yeah, they were just there to wind people up. Success Yep, t- they did. Yeah. Uh and the other famous uh easter egg is that in area 51 the tannoy uh calls out for various uh, members of staff and they make up the names of the seminal uh, American alt rock mm. band Pixies uh deal Francis, Santiago, Lovering, and Robinson. There was a Game Boy Color version.
1: That was it. (laughs) That's all you need to say.
0: So it was a 2D sprite-based third-person prequel. Uh, It received 66% from nine reviews, according to Game Rankings. Uh, I guess probably the most interesting thing about it it came out after the, the, the N64 game in August 2000. That wasn't the most interesting thing. The most interesting thing is that the transfer pack was the thing that you could plug Game Boy cartridges into used for things like Pokemon Stadium. Uh, you mm. could plug your Game Boy Color game into your Perfect Dark and unlock some exclusive stuff.
1: I think it was just cheats maybe and maybe a few uh, like multiplayer skins. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it was nothing major or else I would have you know, yeah. remembered it and bothered. Did you play it? Uh, yeah, I didn't play it to completion because I didn't find it that exciting to play. It reminded me of the Perfect Dark equivalent of Conker's Pocket Tales yes. in that it, it was just a kind of a or Banjo-Kazooie uh, Grunty's Revenge mm. It's kind of just felt like a token effort to make those characters appear in a handheld and it was just a bit like well
0: it's no, a no Metal Gear Ghost Babel then by the sound of it
1: no no, no.
0: from the forum Finally, uh, last contribution. Thank you to everyone, as always, for your memories and reviews and recollections. Rob Twenty Five X says, "Co-op, counter-op, the challenges, weapons training, bot personalities, the laptop gun, the far sight, the combat boosts, secondary weapon functions, cloaking enemies, running for alarms, the cheats menu, blood splatters, voice acting, cutscenes, endless replayability. To this day, Perfect Dark still astounds me. A game with so much content and creativity, it was twenty years ahead of its time." How the Xbox Live Arcade version remastered in 1080p and 60 frames per second did not receive 10 out of 10 reviews like the original game baffles me. I've been playing Perfect Dark for 16 years and still love it as much as the day it was released. Good. Good for you, Rob. Hmm. In brief, three word reviews from Twitter at Kane and uh,
1: Zomo says, uh, needs more Bond. Richard Burt
4: said, alien tuxedo meets hims.
0: Chris Cheung says, they're all expendable.
3: James McCaw, expansion pack loveliness. Freelance Police, excellent female lead.
1: Bearfish Pie says, gaming's deadliest laptop.
4: And Visible Otters said, endless dorm room tournaments.
1: So to summarise...
0: For myself, uh, I was quite looking forward to going back to Perfect Dark, but having played it at the time and ultimately drifted away without being in love with it and then buying it the day it came out on Xbox Live Arcade and thinking, oh, this is cool, and then drifting away from it again, I wasn't you know, thinking, yes, get to play one of my all-time favourites again. Um, and I still wouldn't, but I actually think that uh, going back and looking into this game and perhaps thinking about, all that went into making it and considering the level design and the, the mission structure and things like that, as well as all the stuff that they crammed into that multiplayer, which still manages to be fun 17 years later with a group of friends, at least uh, I actually I've come away with a, a greater appreciation for perfect art than I think I had before. I think I, I think it's elevated itself in my, my overall estimation. Um, I would definitely recommend that people pick up the XBLA version, whatever form you want, Xbox One is fine. Um as backwards compatible. And the thing I think the thing to do with it is not to just boot it up as we often do with kind of beloved old games and just kind of go, oh yeah, and spend five minutes and then go, yeah, okay, done that, seen that before. Uh, I've actually got a lot more out of it by going back to it and and like I've nowhere near, you know, caning and rinsing it. Um, But I actually feel like I might carry on playing it, even now we've covered it for the show, and I've got other things to play. Um, I need to, yeah, I think I need to explore further. Uh, but yes, recommended overall. Tony,
3: almost identical to you, Leon. There, um, it's a game that I wasn't in love with back in two thousand. Um, but I'm glad I've I've gone back to play it for the show. I think there there's there's some stuff I've really enjoyed. Um, I think it's aged, of course, as, as any game from from that time would have done. But like you, there's a there's a bunch of achievements and stuff I've still yet to unlock in the game. I don't think I'm going to get all the little um, crowns and stuff that the game asks you to get. But there's a bunch of the um, the challenge stuff that I want to go back and, and play. Um, so actually, you know, a game for the game that was made in 2000, it, it still plays relatively well in 2017. Enough that um, you know I want to continue playing it after the show is finished, and I think that's that's praise enough. But um, I think the thing i've liked most about uh doing the uh, doing the replay for this show is actually watching other people's experience with it you know seeing how how they've mastered on, on the higher difficulty levels and actually appreciating the depth in this game which i don't think i uh i i saw back in in 2000 so if nothing else you know and, and maybe that's a a sign of the times now where I think we're more appreciative of watching other people play games and sometimes doing it ourselves. So um yeah, I I, I do think it's recommended. I, I don't think it's a the bona fide classic that um some of Rare titles have, have come to be. But um I do think it was a, a very good game and good to see that, you know, even then rare willing to take a risk and, and step step out of um you know some of the more easier options which they could have taken, which was obviously just to make the follow up to Golden right.
4: Oh i definitely recommend people who even feel like they had their fill back on the N64 should try uh, and play it, particularly with the um, in regards to the Xbox 360 slash Xbox One slash Rare Replay release, um, because being able to play it at 60 frames a second sort of breathes a bit of extra life into the title. Um, it makes it feel not so archaic. Uh, uh, and unplayable and Tony sort of leaned on what I was going to say that going back to it for this show and going through the levels in single player or playing the multiplayer my favorite thing has actually been watching other people play it particularly the um, perfect agent speedrun and realizing how such an old game can be played and the extra things that are in there and the skill sets that are required. And when we went back and visited the multiplayer scene, how many features are in there, how many different ways there are to customise the game, um, and then all the single-player content that's always been there with the difficulties shows that the there is so much in there that perhaps we've forgotten about and certainly an amount of content that we just generally don't see in games these days i mean to my mind the thing that comes closest would arguably be call of duty which people always seem to be up in arms about it now but that's a game that offers the zombies the multiplayer the single player the co-op and and that's a whole bunch of content but perfect dark did all that in one release albeit he needed a expansion pack to be able to play the single player of it at least um and it's quite ridiculous to see how much content's in there and to be able to actually play it at 60 frames a second now makes me want to go back to this game and continue playing it post-show which is more than I would have expected so it's Mm. definitely been a positive experience going back to it so yeah I would absolutely recommend people play especially given you can get Rare Replay for like sub £15 and it's got an incredible number of games and this being one of them absolutely if you've got an Xbox One yeah. try perfect dark anyone
0: again. who anyone who loves listening to Kane and rinse is should probably own a copy of rare replay I realize yeah. not, not everyone has, a, has an Xbox one but uh, but yeah um it's, it also made me um yearn more for the goldeneye game that the re-release that never happened so yeah yeah uh, MiK yeah
2: so um perfect dark came out at the end of a systems uh, life cycle and uh it was already uh kind of overshadowed by games like uh, Deus Ex even though that's probably more of an RPG than than a first person shooter um but as a more refined uh, feature packed iteration on Goldeneye which was uh, regardless of if it was on a PC or a console just a a, ground, a groundbreaking uh, game altogether i th- i feel it's a uh, uh, a quintessential FPS of its time, still, uh, is jam-packed with so much content and it has these crazy gadgets that you don't see in any other games, like the the, the spy cam uh, that you can control with the fish islands, mm. which was really jaw-dropping for on, on that uh, type of hair, uh, hardware. Uh, incredibly innovative weapons and. I feel that even now perfect dark has areas that have not been uh bettered all that much um it being the mission structure of the of the single player game uh even though there were was time splitters of course but um that's that's a different story, and most of all perhaps it's four player split screen console shooting action um again uh time splitters uh, uh approached that kind of quality but even though it had a, a map editor you didn't you couldn't set uh, the uh, ai of the bots or uh, customize any uh, anything there so i, al- I always missed that uh, that kind of feature uh there was quake 3 on dreamcast as far as console split screen shooters go uh, go which was very good uh especially if you had a, a mouse and keyboard for the dreamcast um, I missed the boat on playing halo locally uh on uh on the original xbox, but uh yeah other than that, I feel like there's there hasn't been much in that particular area that has uh has improved on it. I'm not sure if I could recommend people to go back to the n sixty four original because the frame rate issues are just too notice- noticeable now um and since I'm hesitant myself to play the XBLA re-release for certain certain reasons, or I have my reservations about it, uh, I'm drawing a blank there as well. All I really want is just a uh, Perfect Dark 2 uh, with uh, modern uh, graphical touches. Another, I'm not talking about a, a Perfect Dark Zero, yeah. which uh, 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 I'm not talking about a, a game that was rushed to to its uh, uh, to meet the uh, the release day of a console. But an actual, actually, it's
3: on rare replay too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking about an actual sequel to the original Perfect Dark, which again, like uh, Perfect Dark on the N sixty four, is a developer just firing on all cylinders and cramming uh, their game uh, full of all almost all the features and the content they want to cram into it. And just, I think, yeah, that's something I want to
1: see uh, see revisited.
0: Well, we can only conclude with Darren, really.
1: Perfect Dark. Is maybe one of Rare's like crowning achievements. That is a pun. Uh, yeah, I think it's like it's the ultimate version of that style of first person shooter as well. So, you know, there's only a, a select number of games that have this style Golden Perfect Dark, uh, Zero, and Time Splitters 2 and Future Perfect. Mm-hmm. Now they kind of have that you know, sandboxy kind of roguelikey kind of you know do a level die start again do the objectives within that not many games do that and I've, but i do feel like perfect dark is the the best of the bunch um but but back then in the n64 i would have recommended it for as a, as a multiplayer game and not so much as a story game but now looking at it in uh 2017 i'll definitely flip reverse that and go you should play you should play perfect dark for the the mission objectives not, not the story the mission objectives and kind of leave the multiplayer to the wayside. Um, I, I, and again, I, I'm, I feel massively conflicted because while I prefer Goldeneye, on that show I said I couldn't recommend that game, but with mm. Perfect Dark on Xbox, I recommend it wholeheartedly. I feel like it is, it you know, if you want to experience that kind of first-person shooter, this is where you should go. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite games of all time, and I kind of play it like I say on autopilot. So (laughs) it's kind of one of those games where I don't really criticize it when I'm playing. Whereas most games I kind of see all the flaws and all the, uh, you know, all the nuances, but with, with this game and some other, you know, and some other rare games, I kind of gloss over that and just enjoy the muscle memory kicking in and, you know, me just playing it like a robot, I guess, you know, to the point where I'm speed running levels just to shave split seconds off. Um, yeah, I really enjoy Perfect Dark, and I'm glad Mikel brought up the, the Cam Spy stuff. I, I Again, that's another part of Perfect Dark that I don't feel like it gets enough love, in that mm. this game does so much stuff that gets overlooked, and we, we, we kind of took it for granted. Like, what, uh, an enemy will try and kick you in the face if you get too close to him. You know, the Cam Spy has some amazing effects when you, you know, the fisheye lens, and the 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 far sight has some beautiful visuals when you're scoping through walls and the, the, the red and black uh, night vision goggles are uh, are intentionally that color for a reason you know mm-hmm. there, there's so there's so much the perfect dark that gets overlooked and um i i i love it it's it's great uh, warts and all well skedar and all <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice okay everybody it just remains for me leon too thank darren carl Mikhail, and Tony, as well as all our correspondents editor jay Uh, and of course to all of you for listening remember if you enjoyed this and our other podcast please consider heading to our patreon page and donating that minimum of a dollar a month and if enough of you do this we can make even more cane and rinse shows in the future and also i need to tell you that next time in issue 270 we talk a load of old blocks in our tetris podcast